we talk a lot in the program about kind of uh, authorship and ownership. And for me, it's very important that this project um, be owned by the community. Chinese Jamaicans have a rich and deep history in Toronto, though it has rarely been recognized or documented. Our host, Daniel Clarkson Fisher, took a seat on the other side of our table to talk about his documentary work, The Chinese Jamaican Oral History Project, in which he meticulously and thoughtfully records and preserves stories from the Chinese Jamaican community in Toronto. As an accomplished writer and scholar, Daniel took on this ambitious project, which includes audio recorded oral history interviews, narrator portraits, an interactive timeline, rich archive material, and much more, all of which can be found on the website cjohp.org. Sarah Wiley and Pearson Ripley had a conversation with him in beautiful B23, our Doc Media grad lab, tucked away in the depths of downtown Toronto, where they consider how our past shapes our current process, authorship and the legacy of evolving community projects, what can be defined as documentary, and beyond. Let's have a listen. One, two, three, four. Um, so could you start by giving us a lowdown of your project? Sure. Uh, my project is called the Chinese Jamaican Oral History Project. Uh, it's focused on the Chinese Jamaican community that lives here in Toronto. Uh, the main part of the project um, is a, a web-based archive, uh, cjohp.org, uh, where I've collected audio oral histories, uh, images of the narrators, materials they've provided, uh, and then there will also be a gallery exhibit uh, with some more kind of carefully edited pieces of the archive and the images and things put together. Could you elaborate a bit more on the origin story of the project? Um, what is your relationship to the community and kind of how did this come into being? Um, well, my partner, Stephanie, uh, is Chinese Jamaican and I knew very little, if anything, about the community uh, when we met. A couple of years ago, Steph was invited by uh, Ray Chen, a great uh, Chinese Jamaican photographer, uh, to be part of a little group of people where he was discussing the possibility of doing some kind of oral history project like this. And uh, I think Ray's concern had been that there there were people in the community who had passed away who might have it might have been a good idea to record them before they'd passed away. Um, and then sadly, ironically, Ray passed away not very long after everything kind of fell apart. And I think I was always interested in participating in a project like this and was sort of waiting for it to get off the ground. And um, I think Steph and other people who we were spending time with just sort of said, <laughs> you know, um, I think if you wait, you'll wait forever. So if it's something you want to sort of nudge off the plate, you know, Go, feel free, go for it. So um, a lot of the people who are uh, who I've interviewed at this point who are part of the project were people who were sort of either explicitly part of Ray's list or more or less in the orbit of it. And people I knew he, he was sort of keen to make sure we got. Do you want to tell us a bit more about the history of the Chinese Jamaican community in Canada? Sure. Um, for those of us who don't know. Yeah, so uh, just to sort of uh, catch you up quickly, um, in the uh, early 19th century, there was um, uh, a, there were a large group of Chinese who came from uh, Hong Kong as indentured laborers uh, to Jamaica and elsewhere uh, in the Caribbean. 
um, they ended up uh, staying and through a kind of badly written, um, uh, badly worded uh, text written by um, sort of the British in Jamaica, uh, the Chinese realized that they could invite a lot of their families and their families could start businesses such as uh, shops. And so I think by the 20th century, you had, you know, like a, a kind of virtual monopoly on uh, shopkeeping um, in Jamaica. They were mostly owned and run by the Chinese Jamaican community. Um, there was also, you know, you had, so you had many more people coming. You had um, intermarriage, creolization, all of these things. And then by the uh, late 60s, early 70s, um, changes in terms of politics, uh, changes in terms of the economy, and so forth led a number of uh, Chinese Jamaicans to leave the country. Um, there are large groups in Miami, uh, New York, uh, some in London, but the vast majority came to the GTA. Cool. Maybe you could expand more upon how you're kind of building in a participatory aspect to this project and, and what its life will look like in the future beyond beyond this project or beyond the program? I think when I was first thinking about how to do this, would it make sense to build it as a film, build it as a, a podcast, um, you know, something else? Um, it was just sort of fortuitous that I ended up um, seeing something in the news about um, the New York Public Library uh, and their community oral history project, which invites um, people in various parts of New York to sort of, you know, record oral histories uh, as narrators and as interviewers. And, um, you know, I remember kind of looking at the site and thinking that's it. That's probably something that's helpful, that that kind of model, the way they're doing it. I'm really glad that you're doing this project in our program because I think the oral history is one of the most genuine ways to disseminate information. There has, though, in our program, which is a very, very much a, a lens-based media program, there's been a little bit of pushback for possibly a lack of um, maybe creative authorship. Whereas down in down in my neck of the woods at the Center for Documentary Studies at Duke University, it's a very favored form, and that's you know one of just three of these such programs um, in North America. So, could you talk a little bit about how you see the oral history um, positioned within the documentary field. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, to to be to be fair to our our wonderful faculty here, uh, you know, I think it's it's more people inviting me to think about how to apply some of these other ideas from say more lens based media to oral history. Uh, so you know, there's been sort of an invitation to do the project, but to think about how to incorporate these ideas. But I think I'm, as you say, you know, somebody who already sees oral history, whether it's uh, image-based or not, as um, definitely a documentary medium. Um, you mentioned the Center for Documentary Studies at Duke, and I did a, a number of classes there before I uh, started this program. And I think I've been incredibly moved by how huge the tent is uh, at Duke. You know, that documentary there includes not only documentary photography and documentary film, but also things like um, performance, comics, comics journalism, oral history, um, podcasting, um, 
uh, creative nonfiction writing, um, you know, that their, their tent is, is incredibly large and that, that was very moving to me. Yeah, it's such a rich discussion of what, what counts as documentary media um, within the image arts department. And maybe I just ask you um, about your, your photography and your images. Like you have said you don't identify as a photographer, but obviously your images are really strong and a key component of, of this piece. So could you talk a bit, a bit about the balancing mm -hmm. those two things, the, uh, the oral history and the photography? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think uh, you know, my, my goal was just to take competent mm -hmm. uh, photographs, but I've, I've been enjoying it a lot. But I think, I think more than anything, I kind of consider oral history my medium, and I, I think I'm interested in people who do um, oral history in, in the literary um, realm, but I'm not close to uh, audio versions, audiovisual versions. Um, in fact, I'm quite interested in them. And um, what I've enjoyed about doing this MRP is uh, that it's it's pushed me a little bit um, that way. And, um, you know, it's been interesting kind of negotiating with some of some of the narrators have been um, very active in thinking about the pictures with me. Others have been very <laughs> low key, like, where do you want me? What can I be doing? Um, you know that sort of thing. So it's it, it's been a mix. But then one thing I'm happy about is the sense when you look at them. I don't think you know one seems like radically over here doing something different from this image that they they feel of a piece to me anyway. Um, and I'm I'm very satisfied by that. Um, did you want to tell us a little bit more about your influences? You know, personally, I. I've been really especially affected by Svetlana Alexievich's work. Uh, she received the Nobel uh, Prize for Literature in, I think it was 2015, uh, wrote books like uh, Voices from Chernobyl, Secondhand Time. And um, she sort of, one of the things that's very moving to me is the way that she weaves voices together so that it tells a kind of clear, uh, rich, coherent story. And then also, of course, Studs Terkel, who uh, in America, uh, you know, is, is best known for um, his book Working, um, where he just asks ordinary people about their working lives, um, and his uh, book The Good War, which is about World War II. And uh, he received the Pulitzer Prize for that. And uh, that book in particular um, has, has been affecting to me as I've thought about the kind of politics of representation and other things in the project. I think what's remarkable about the good war looking at it now is how far ahead of its time it was that he starts the book talking about, you know, uh, interviewing people about the Japanese internment experience, about uh, sexism during the war. Um, you know, th th it's, it's very, a very far cry from say Tom Brokaw's stuff about mm -hmm. world war two. It's, it's very, um, conscious of all the different kinds of experiences and he's thinking about his own positionality as someone who um, served and is a white man but he's very much not interested in having it be a collection of other white men reminiscing about the war so this part won't come naturally to you <laughs> But I'm going to have you talk a little bit about yourself. <laughs> um, could you tell me a little bit about your just personal trajectory, background, and future? And, you know, I know this isn't your first go-round at a graduate degree, so how those other degrees and your past 
academic life have kind of brought you here and influenced the work you're doing? Well, you know, I, you know, Steph and I have talked about this before. I've joked about when I started college, um, I was a cinema major and then I ended up changing my, um, major to religion. And that started a long trajectory of me doing, um, Buddhist studies work. Um, so I, I started in cinema, graduated uh, Buddhist studies, went on and did a master's of divinity um, where I was uh, doing mostly uh, pastoral care and pastoral theology kind of work. So I was working as a hospital chaplain, working as a chaplain on campus and things like this. Um, got my uh, doctorate in Buddhist studies and then stayed to work at the university where I, I got my doctorate um, teaching um, young monks and nuns and um, young people who wanted to be uh, chaplains and, and do that sort of that sort of work. And um, I think one of the things that I've brought from my background to doing this, though, um, is definitely a lot of the skills that I learned doing chaplaincy work very much apply in oral history. I mean, I think if you're if you're going to do oral history well, you need to be able to listen and allow for silence and, you know, um, let people have their feelings and try to be a good, um, you know, a good, a good facilitator of what people um, want to say, need to say, um, are willing to offer. And uh, I feel like I draw on those uh, all the time, even if I don't do anything around um, Buddhism anymore in my life. Otherwise, um, the things that I learned um, from that kind of flavor of um, spiritual care and counseling, I think about all the time and use all the time. Very cool. Um, maybe as a final note, do you want to talk about what's, what are your plans for the future <laughs> past the program? Um, yeah. Are yeah. You, what are you going to do? Um, I would really like to keep doing oral history work. Uh, <laughs> I think I would like to try to put together a book in the vein of, um, Alexievich and Turkle, uh, but on another subject. Uh, in terms of this project, um, I'll definitely keep it going um, for a while. There is one potential home for this, so I'm gonna kind of explore that possibility where it could be adopted uh, in, the, in the way that I've talked about hoping it would be. Um, there are definitely people I would like to record who I'm not able to record before the um, before the end of the program, so they'll definitely be on the on the list to do. Um, and I've been invited to talk about the project and and bring it to a couple of different conferences and things. So um, there'll be some some future that way. And I I just hope I can kind of nurture to a point where it it finds a, I think a, a more appropriate home. Um, you know, there's um, we talk a lot in the in the program about kind of. Uh, authorship and ownership and for me it's very important that I that this project um, be owned by the community and I just sort of see myself in kind of a facilitator role at the moment in terms of saying I'll get the ball rolling I'll do all this kind of um, work to, to kind of build the scaffolding for the project and, and fill in some of it but uh, you know I think by the time this is done it will be very easy for someone else to take it and they don't have to kind of do some of those things unless they really want to. Um, you know, it'll be it'll be kind of uh, baked and ready for um, for people to fill it in with uh, with interviews. 
I think that's great, and I really appreciate the challenge I think your project is bringing to the program mm -hmm. around ideas like authorship, creative authorship. What does that look like to build something to have a life beyond your own practice? Yeah. Um, I think that's cool. Yeah, and um, you know, I mean, again, we, we talked about that. I, I think I'll, it'll always have an author stamp on it in the interviews that I've done and the photos that I've taken, but I would like it to have multiple authors and, and multiple stamps that way. Well, hopefully this project opens up the possibilities for future Doc Media students. When I was just a little girl, I asked my mother, what will I be? Will I be pretty? Will I be rich? Here's what she said to me. Que sera, sera. Sera, sera. What will be, will be. Today, Doc This was hosted by Sarah Wiley and Pearson Ripley, with thanks to Ryerson Image Arts and the MFA Doc Media Program. Doc This is edited by John Bearhaven and produced by John Bearhaven and myself, Kenny McDonald. Thanks for listening. Here's what my sweetheart said. Sera, sera. Whatever will be, will be. The future's not ours to see. Que sera, sera. What will be, will be.